0: welcome to federal insights for june a hybrid cloud approach to managing ai and ai data sponsored by thundercat technology in partnership with dell technologies welcome and thanks for joining us my guests today are nick perez the chief technology officer for cloud practice at thundercat technologies and al ford the artificial intelligence alliances manager at dell technologies good to have you both with us and our topic today is how you bring your infrastructure, your hybrid cloud approach to data processing in general, and marry it with AI and AI special requirements and AI data, which also is a big requirement. And I think it's a good time to be talking about this because AI has moved from the experimental and is actually being incorporated into agency applications across the government. I just talked to uh, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office today. Their search function for their examiners now has an artificial intelligence back end. So we're seeing this go mainstream. And what I wanted to ask you, gentlemen, first was, what are you seeing across the government in the way agencies are approaching marrying these two things, AI, AI data, and their infrastructures? and what do you think the best practices are in that regard? Nick, why don't we start
1: with you? Absolutely, thank you. Yeah, so we're definitely seeing a, uh, you know, traditional customers have been doing this on premise uh, with, you know, expensive equipment in high performance computing environments and bringing a lot of tooling. Uh, The opportunity and one of the benefits of the cloud is that they can, you know, leverage the compute and the power uh, that's available inside these cloud providers and move, move your data and then absolutely maximize the compute power there and the tooling. So the, the, uh, different cloud providers provide different tooling. Some of them, you are a lot more hands on yourself and some others have a lot more of them, uh, particularly the, the models that you can absolutely use. But text analytics, speech, video, we are seeing a lot of that particular, this kind of translation and then performing AI uh, on those. You know, After the, the situation we've had over the last 13 months, everyone's, there's been a big land rush of moving to the cloud and you know a lot more accelerated than it was previously I would say certainly in the federal space and leveraging those technologies are there being able to do things you know faster and more reliant and ultimately in a cheaper cost because you can ultimately turn off those particular workloads once they're complete
0: all right Al what are you
2: seeing No, absolutely. Very similar to what Nick's uh, sharing and talking about. Um, And then as you start to incorporate artificial intelligence into those techniques, right? So people have been moving to cloud for the last 10 to 15 years. Um, but with artificial intelligence, you have to consider newer infrastructure um, for specifically accelerators within these environments. And so it, it's an added challenge. And then it becomes, okay, am I running that in the cloud? What locations, et cetera? And as Nick mentioned, how do we take this on, from on-prem into those environments? Because it's moving to the edge. So we're seeing a lot of converged or hyper-converged infrastructures um, being set up. It's easy. uh, It's a little bit uh, more uh, easy to deploy deploy and uh, then uh, add your software stacks that can burst to the uh, cloud locations as well as to the edge where artificial intelligence is occurring.
0: So the edge could be the agency's own resources as opposed to commercial cloud.
2: Yes, sir. Edge really is a very broad term, almost like cloud was 15 years ago. Edge uh, can be at a given uh, remote location. It could be that you're part of the uh, geological survey and you've got a vehicle carrying a camera and you need to access that vehicle. So the edge literally could be outfield deployed.
0: I was going to say, yes, aircraft even have pretty high performance boxes that you can load on and take with you and aboard ships and so forth that operate in sometimes environments that you may not be able to have a mainframe, but we're getting mainframe grade computing in those locations. In other words.
2: Correct. Absolutely. Um,
0: and if and I would add that, there,
1: let me if sure. can add there, Tom, I would say is, Uh, A lot of it is also processing particularly like on a camera so on a camera edge processing there so performing AI where the image or whether the video is being captured. performing detection and analysis and awareness, whether that be that's a person that's an animal you know typically and then only relaying the data that's been captured and that's been analyzed moving that to the cloud and or in theater putting equipment in the back of Humvees and equipment and performing processing right there instead of capturing it, sending it somewhere else for analysis and just making those decisions much, much faster.
0: And Al, you mentioned accelerators. Maybe just talk briefly more about what that means and how they apply in this whole wherever and anywhere computing type of setup.
2: Absolutely. So accelerators are uh, CPUs, uh, central processing units, GPUs are very popular today, graphic processing units, Uh, and then they're building out a whole practice around these accelerators. So there are field programmable gate arrays that a lot of people in the Department of Defense have been using for quite some time. So uh, one of the areas that our our Dell Technologies Office, the CTO has called out is you really need specialists in the IT um, organizations to identify what accelerators are needed for those environments. So that's what really helps when you've got um, organizations like Thundercat and Dell working together is identifying the, the right accelerator for these types of workloads.
0: And on the topic of hyper-converged infrastructures and virtual machines doing all of this, then can they move from the work, those workloads, can they move from cloud to, say, edge device and back and forth agnostically, you know, without having to worry about interfaces and so forth and that is to say, can the hybrid environment operate as one big logical environment, and you can do what you need to do where you need to do it with those hyper-converged Absolutely. setups.
1: Yeah, we have customers doing that today on multiple different cloud providers outside the United States and within the United States and bringing that content back for processing, whether it being on-premise in their own location or helping them with co-location and the equipment in, you know, in cages and in a private rack.
2: Yep, And- To add to that, some of the benefits of that hybrid converge is the infrastructure is already there. So you're taking the compute, the networking, and the storage, it's all available and served up into these containers. And it's those containers that are delivered to all those locations, Nick mentioned, that uh, that you can incorporate all of the analytics inside of and deliver that out to the edge or to an off prem location or to a cloud provider. Yeah. And
1: how does, go ahead. I was going to say, the beauty of it is you're using the same equipment, the same technology, the same education and investment you've had for you know, a number of years. You're just now moving it to the next stage and, and, and being able to do it faster and quicker.
0: And with respect to artificial intelligence, what are the special demands of those types of projects? And then perhaps running them as finished applications, do they make special demands on, on the computing setup, on the architecture and, and on the approach an agency might take?
1: Yeah, it, it very much in like as, as Al said, the GPU is really you're utilizing those latest and greatest kind of flash arrays and those latest and greatest GPUs available for a high speed. So high speed is the is the critical element of it. You know, we see a lot of people using these cryptocurrencies and they're creating hashes and that's kind of formula a lot of the AI processes that are coming out. It's the rapid speed of being able to process this stuff, make the determination like a rules engine and move on to the next piece of the workload to figure out you know, what the deltas is. Uh, positive, positive, fake positives, you're trying to do this analysis constantly and train the models. Uh, So yeah, it's it's ultimately, you know, high speed, but consistency.
2: And just to add a little bit to that, you typically with artificial intelligence, uh, particularly within machine learning, you have two different, um, you know, cycles you need to run through. The first cycle is working with the training a model. So you've got a lot of data. You've got to train the model what to look for. Once you have that model, you create an inferencing engine. That inferencing engine is what you send out to the edge to look at the uh, real-time video feed to determine if you can if you can find what you're looking for. So the accelerators are very important in that area, uh, right? Because you have to have the right accelerator for each of those given um, cycles involved in the machine learning and artificial intelligence process. So again, it brings it back to those accelerators and then working just on top of that uh, hyper-converged infrastructure, you really build from the ground up to meet that mission outcome.
0: And there's a cost implication there too, if you are doing your training part of the ML cycle and you have a data set, which the bigger, the better in some ways for training algorithms that then could all take place within the commercial cloud part of your architecture. That way the data stays there and you don't have data extraction costs, which agencies are always worrying about. Whereas the deployment then can take place at the edge using data at the edge and not pulled down from the cloud. Is that a fair way to look at it?
1: That's a great use case. I mean, that is the primary use case of what's going on and you nailed it. Okay. Yep.
2: any
0: examples you can think of
2: yeah well let me expand on that if you don't mind so what we've seen a lot of time is data has to come from those sensors or the edge in an IOT type of environment or perhaps even a different remote location um, that could be in a building and you want you most comp- uh, organizations have to bring the data back to a centralized location before they can analyze it. So that's known as a centralized environment. And so, Tom, what you're kind of getting into is the ability to provide federated learning or training capabilities. And and Nick and I discussed this, uh, but effectively federated is rather than bringing the data from the edge back to you, why not send those analytics in that virtualized container to the edge so that you're not moving the data? And then once you have the results uh, computed at the edge, you only send back the results. So to your point, Tom, you're lowering the bandwidth and you're also decreasing the amount of data that has to traverse um, all of those, um, you know, networking hops back to your initiator who's doing those analytics.
0: And to draw it one step further, if the IoT and sensor data that you gathered to actually execute against the trained algorithm makes you decide, golly, that that data should be part of our next round of training, for example, then at some time when it's cheap and easy, late at night or whatever the case might be, you could move that data to the cloud. But again, a one way move, it's better to move data to the cloud than from the cloud.
1: Absolutely, yeah. You you could even move that to like a low speed queue. You could actually move those items and say, all right, we're gonna retrain the model. We're gonna constantly move something new happened here. We're gonna analyze that and we're gonna train the model on how to detect those particular pieces and or insert some other processes in place. Absolutely.
0: I guess if you nope. have a uh, co-located caged facility, I guess you could send those people a, a disc or a thumb drive and they could load it up. That would even save a lot of money.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Right, and to take it a step further, uh, the other thing, we're, we're now looking at data in two distinct ways. Number one, is that data immediately actionable? Or number two, is it historically valuable? If it's immediately actionable, we want to apply that data immediately to one of the accelerators at the edge if it's just historically valuable then perhaps we go ahead to your point send it back to a cloud service provider or to a colo location and then and keep that data because it's still relevant and important however yeah we had
1: a use case for a long time ago the genome the genome is a very very large process typically you work on a very very small subset of it like we are less than what was it? Each of us is less than 1% actually different from each other. So you're physically leveraging or analyzing 1% of the genome, but you learn new things. These researchers learn new models and or we have you know a global pandemic or Ebola or whatever the thing is happening at the time that changes the, the processing. And we need to go back. We need to go back to that particular original genome, pull out a new subset and process it. But We're not processing the whole thing. We're processing a, a nugget of information or reanalyzing it because we sure. learned something new.
0: All right. Yes, I've been told I have as much in common with the earthworm as with the rest of humanity on that project. We'll take a break on that note. My guests today are Nick Perez, the Chief Technology Officer for Cloud Practice at Thundercat Technology, and Al Ford is the Artificial Intelligence Alliances Manager at Dell Technologies. I'm Tom Temin. This is Federal Insights. Our topic is a hybrid cloud approach to managing AI and AI data, sponsored by Thundercat Technology and Dell Technologies here at Federal News Network. AI has the potential to transform government agencies, accelerating processes, and mission-critical functions. Thundercat Technology, in partnership with Dell Technologies, can optimize your AI ecosystem, simplify sourcing, deployment, and management of infrastructure designed for the data era, with plenty of what your agency's AI use cases demand to deliver better outcomes in a hybrid cloud world. Learn about our AI experience and capabilities at thundercattech.com slash partners Dell Tech. The future is now. Welcome back to Federal Insights, a hybrid cloud approach to managing AI and AI data, sponsored by Thundercat Technology and Dell Technologies here on Federal News Network. My guests today are Nick Perez. He's the Chief Technology Officer for Cloud Practice at Thundercat Technology. And Al Ford is the Artificial Intelligence Alliances Manager at Dell Technologies, and I'm Tom Temen. Let's talk about the idea of data center extraction because data centers are the bane and the glory of federal agencies. They've been told to get rid of data centers, consolidate data centers, but also modernize data centers. And as we know, data centers play an important role even now in the cloud era. So how does data center extraction play into this whole picture, especially for high-end work like AI and AI training and ML?
1: Yeah, we got a number of, thanks for that question, Tom. Um, thanks for that question, Tom. We have a number of customers that are in that data set will certainly lessen the footprint of the X data center they have out, and or ultimately get out of the data center business completely. Uh, ultimately, you know, they'll move a lot of their workloads to the cloud providers. All right. Obviously we've, we've really done this whole thing about moving email. Uh, we've got disaster recovery and backup and now we've got test and dev and all those kind of typical were very much the low hanging fruit. Now we're getting into really kind of the CICD and IT transformation. But there is typically a couple of workloads that you can't remove. You know, there's this physical stack typically. uh, There's a whole bunch of theory about a VM, securing a VM and protecting it. So there's definitely some comfort level of keeping that physical stack. So we have a number of customers where we have helped them place Uh, a physical equipment in racks in a colo so it's still someone else's data center but it's much much closer they can still go visit it and touch it but it's right next door to those hyperscale cloud providers and then likewise there's workloads where they want high performance or for the physical equipment that physically hasn't been on ramp to the cloud it hasn't been virtualized or it has you know just proprietary or it needs some technical reason why it needs to stay on premise we help them with that as well. So we help them with colo providers. Uh, many of them are also FedRAMPs. So we have a number of customers that are doing that that, that particular thing today, and/or really high-speed storage. Help you know need, they need some additional encryption equipment or strategies that they have, or they have some intellectual property themselves around that particular thing. We help them place that in, in you know in other third-party hosting areas outside, but they're very very close. I mean, we're talking milliseconds away from the cloud provider.
0: So, Al, that sounds like yet another location. We talked about Edge. We talked about the data center. We talked about commercial cloud. Colo, we haven't heard as much about recently in all of the cloud discussions over the past few years, but sounds like Colo is still an active option for computers.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Colo uh, is becoming more of an option. One of the reasons for that is um, I think there's a, a high amount of cost associated perhaps with a cloud service provider, because they might charge you as, you, um, as the data is both uh, ingressed and egressed out of those scenarios. And so uh, some of the strategies we see our government customers looking at today are how do I bring all my data into one location that's off-prem, right? Off their location, keep it at one location and then perhaps go to different cloud service providers for the compute capabilities that they can access. So we're definitely seeing a little bit more of that to cut back on the costs in these operational models. Um, and so again, where, where Dell works closely with Thundercat and Nick specifically is really trying to help support and finding, enabling those uh, tiered storage capabilities to help support the various workloads and their specific uh, bespoke needs in those environments. So um, this again is why we, we definitely partner with Thundercat so that we can um, help provide uh, the more specific um, environment um, in, the, in that scenario. Yeah, yes, we-
0: Nick. The whole tiering idea is not just a cost-driven thing to do, but also, I imagine, an efficiency one. Because Absolutely. You-
1: yeah, you keep it near line. You the, the stuff that's touched, uh, you know, very uh, every I'd say in a period of time that's within like 18 months, you want it near line, very very close where it's being used. But you want to move those offline, the older stuff, and you know, move it more to cold to kind of cold type technologies or just either low speed type storage. But it's the that the storage platform is doing that on your behalf. I mean, that's a key element here. You're not, meant there's no an administrator, there's no person that's figuring that out. That's artificial intelligence that's actually working that particular out and actually moving those particular workloads. But I think, you know, customers are moving workloads to the cloud. Sometimes they, you know, they thought it was the right idea. They thought it was the right workload, but it turns out that it physically isn't. And cost is ultimately the key way you actually get to see that, but uh, performance as well. We do see a number of customers have some really, you know, uh, not the right profile. Chatty type applications, applications that are constantly, you know, talking and actually consuming cost, and they want to move that back, but they physically, you know, they don't want to put the investment in place to actually put that on refreshed hardware, or they've reallocated the hardware that it was it was previously on. And so Thundercat helps. That's one of the, we're extremely flexible on helping our customers. We got a couple of use cases where we've actually had Thundercat owned government operated equipment where we rent it back. So the customer gets that subscription. They get that consumption operational expense experience, but without the initial investment and Thundercat's doing that on behalf and we're letting them rent it back for two to three years. And we're doing that with Dell and very, very creative ways we can actually help them do that and we're supplementing the equipment. So we not only like that tiering, it is telling us and alerting Thundercat that, hey, the customer is actually consuming a little more storage. You need to to apply and implement some stuff and provision it inside that particular rack or that equipment before the customer is gonna consume it. And that's AI and ML that's helping us figure that stuff out.
0: Yeah, so in other words, you almost get the scalability that is purported to be the cloud virtue, yet not in the classical cloud.
1: Absolutely. And we would say we're bringing those, those cloud-like technologies. We're bringing that to the customer you know, in the colo or in the on-premise, right as close to them within their security perimeter. Absolutely.
2: Right. And additionally, uh, by removing that technical debt, they're saving on their overall service and support costs as well. So just another huge benefit uh, to everything Nick just shared.
1: mostly Predictable costs. That's what the customer's is after. Yep. I'm just saying, what well, predicting monthly costs, and then they can focus their big budget, big uh, ticket items, and, and do the real capacity planning and the real architecture on the stuff that's real key, key to their mission and or their business.
0: Well, yes, you, because you do hear agencies constantly talking about the need, and this has been not just agencies, but OMB policy now for several administrations to try to get past the CapEx model for IT spending and more to the OpEx. So this moves what would have been the piece that's still CapEx, your data center, into the OpEx model. Correct.
1: Absolutely, and that's the var. That's we're putting the value right back into helping the customer figure that out, whether it be by you know consumption by the user, by the gigabyte, or by the hour. However, whether can we help the customer, you know, consume that particular workload without that capex expense right up front?
0: And this must be particularly relevant. You mentioned chatty applications to try to have on your own premise, but not maybe in your own data center, because so many of the pandemic-related programs that the federal government has created which also operates between not only between citizens and directly to the federal government, but talk about chatty, the state governments are also in between this whole structure. And it would seem like that's particularly a smart thing to do now because uh-huh. of all of these applications and business loans and payments to individuals. And it looks like that's going to continue for a while. So this yeah, yeah. kind of chatty stuff.
1: Yeah, we see, I mean, just not chatty, just, I mean, the transaction workloads have absolutely dramatically gone up, right? And so people are not coming in the office, they're not coming into the branches, they're not coming into where it was a slower transaction. It's now much more online, much more high speed and the sheer volume of what's happening. We saw that with, I think, when you look at the unemployment, people were trying to get paid their unemployment and it was just overwhelming. They were crushing the systems that were out there and they were just, you know, just obviously architected on premise and that's where the, you see the cloud gives you that burst capability where the demand is high. And I and, and ultimately, my costs are directly in line with that particular type of consumption. But it's helping the citizens at the time they need. And you've got to make dra- you know, very, very, I will say not drastic, but very kind of bold moves at the early stages of that to get ahead of it.
0: Yeah. All right. Now yeah. Al, we've got about a minute left, so I'm going to throw sure. the word to you. And it, it sounds like artificial intelligence is helping people manage artificial intelligence.
2: That's correct. The AI is supporting the AI Um, and and actually in the touch on your uh, example there at the state level, we're seeing states uh, having data strategies that incorporate sharing certain sets of that data with uh, commercial companies uh, that are supporting their missions inside the state level. So effectively, um, as you're talking about being able to burst um, applications and workloads from location to location and also sharing that data, you're then able to do further analytics across all those data sets together. So it, it, it starts at the federal level, moves down to the state level, and then it touches all the smaller businesses and commercial businesses that it, the governments interact with on a daily basis.
0: All right. Well, you've given us a lot to think about and some new paradigms maybe for computing in the post-pandemic age. I want to thank today's guests. Al Ford is the Artificial Intelligence Alliances Manager at Dell Technologies. Nick Perez is the Chief Technology Officer for Cloud Practice at Thundercat Technology. I'm Tom Temin. You've been listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Thundercat. Thank you for listening to Federal Insights for June, sponsored by
1: Thundercat Technology, in partnership with Dell Technologies on Federal News Network.